Blog Talk Radio. What do you tell a friend, a lover, or a family member who comes into your space and dumps their negativity on you? How much are you going to put up with before enough becomes too much? Also in this episode, how can believing in God make life easier? Stay tuned, I've got some interesting answers for you. Welcome to Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon, the show that takes an honest look into the heart of all things that shape the fabric of your entire life. And now, here's Nancy. Hello, my faithful listeners and all the new people who are tuning in today. Are you ready to have some fun? I love the questions you're sending me. Keep them coming. They are lots of fun to answer. If you haven't had your questions answered on air yet, or if you have problem areas in your life that you want help with, I have a personal email consultation service. Pick the area of your concern, pick your problem, send it to me, and I will give you step-by-step instructions for solving it. It's that simple. You ask, I answer. Okay, let's dive right in and take the first question of the day. Dear Nancy, how do you handle a good friend slash lover who comes over to my house to spend time with me but ends up bringing a lot of negativity, always is complaining about his life, is angry about others, speaking contempt about others, family members, and the government, and generally spends the time talking about things he can never change? I listen out of respect, love, and concern, but find myself discouraged at how to react or help. I often get a headache from the negativity and start to resent his pollution of my space and time. I'm lost at how to handle this. Can you help? Signed, Susie from California. Susie, my dear, I have a sense you know exactly how to handle this situation. You just haven't given yourself permission to do or say what you need to do and say. Or you don't want to come across as the bad guy or hurt your friend's feelings or lose him as a friend and lover. Even though I know you know the answer, I want to address this question on air because many people are faced with this situation and never really do address it. They just suffer through it. What if, instead of talking negatively, your friend handed you a vial of cyanide each time he came over and asked you to drink it while he sat and watched? Would you drink it out of respect, love, and concern just so as not to hurt his feelings? Here's the thing. You very clearly know his energy is adversely affecting you. He is affecting you emotionally, mentally, and physically. You resent his pollution of your space and time. Resentment is not a positive emotion. He is even affecting you physically and mentally to the point where you are suffering headaches. You might as well just drink the cyanide and be done with it quickly rather than enduring the long, drawn-out, slow torture to the inevitable death of your heart, your spirit, and your inspiration. No, don't do that. I was just making a point. Doesn't, don't anybody do that. There is a better way. First of all, your friend is toxic. I'll bet you he goes home feeling better and you feel worse. Not just worse because of the toxic energy he left behind, but because those sentiments of respect, love, and concern sound to me like plain old-fashioned guilt, self-abuse, and low self-esteem. I'm not saying you don't love him and care for him. I'm suggesting that maybe you are putting his health, happiness, and well-being before your own. This doesn't serve anyone, especially him, and absolutely not you, as I'm sure you know. Nine out of ten people would say, ditch the guy. Who needs him around? But obviously, that's not what you want to do or hear. You want resolution, and I'm going to help you get that. 
let's use a strategy I call solution resolution. I don't really have a name for this strategy. I just made that up on the spot. But it sounds good, so let's go with it. Step one is about getting totally clear about what's really going on here. Before you can resolve this issue, you need to look at a few things in your own life. Now, instead of making this about him, let's make this about you. I'm going to throw a few questions your way, and I want you to seriously ponder them. The answers that hurt a little are the areas you personally need to address in your life. Number one, why are you holding on to this relationship in the first place? Number two, what need is it serving for you? Number three, what void is it fulfilling, if any? And is it really fulfilling it? Number four, do you hope he is going to change one day and suddenly become all positive, the man you need him to be? Number five, are you lonely and he's the only guy showing up in your life right now? Or the only one that looks suitable? All women hope their men will change and all men hope their women will stay the same. Neither are realistic expectations. Both lead to disaster. The biggest question here is, what purpose is he serving in your life at this time? You said you don't know how to help him. Why do you want to help him? I'm not being nasty or insensitive. I'm just asking you to dig deep inside yourself to get to the bottom of what's really going on here. Everybody needs help in some way at some time in their lives. Why him? Why now? Why you? I learned a long time ago that if someone wants help, especially a man, he will ask for it. And if he doesn't ask, it means he doesn't think anything is wrong, or at least won't admit to himself or to others that he's not happy and something is wrong. I don't care what planet men are from, Mars, Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn, if they don't specifically ask for your help, then don't give it to them. Because anything we as women say that's even slightly leaning in the help direction is going to be misunderstood and resented and probably come across as a nagging know-it-all who thinks she knows how to run his life better than he does. We usually do because it's much easier to find the flaws in someone else than to see them in ourselves. But that's not the point. If you didn't ask for help, you can offer it once, maybe twice, then drop it all together. And again, ask yourself, why do you feel the need to help him? Usually, when we want to help people who haven't asked, it's because we think they need improvement. We think they would be happier if they did something different. It's true, your man probably would be happier if he was more positive, but until he realizes this on his own, he's not going to change anything about his life. Period. Can you live with that? Okay, that was step one. See, it was pretty easy. It was just about getting clear. Step two, now that you have clarity as to why, and I'm assuming you took a little bit of time to figure these things out and look deep inside yourself. Now that you have clarity as to why he is in your life, what purpose he serves, it's time to look at your solution resolution options. A, you could continue to endure his negativity and let it physically, mentally, and emotionally bring you down. B, you could help him indirectly. More about that in a moment. Or C, you could be very candid with him and tell him how you are feeling. Okay, so option A is self-explanatory. So let's look at option B. I sense you are a kind and caring woman who has a lot of compassion for people. Otherwise, you wouldn't have put up with your friend-slash-lover's behavior for so long. You truly want to help him be happy, but not at the expense of your own health and happiness anymore. At least I'm hoping not. Here's something pretty cool I learned... Um, Many years ago, actually, it's a technique called Hoponopono. I call it, I pronounce it Hoponopono because it, it just seems to flow better. Hoponopono because I like the flow of it better. 
It was created by Dr. Len, a therapist who healed the very disturbed mentally ill prisoners in a prison for the criminally insane in Hawaii. It was a very scary prison. I wasn't there personally, but I can tell you from reading all the different stories about it, it was yeah, not the place anybody wanted to be. The staff didn't want to be there. They didn't want to walk down those corridors, and they started not showing up for work or calling in sick or quitting. They were afraid of being attacked by the prisoners. Dr. Len never even saw the prisoners. He had an office and their files. When he was reviewing their files, he was healing the part of himself that created the conditions in those people. Hopinopono is about total responsibility. When we think of being responsible for our lives, we think that means being responsible for our thoughts, our words, our actions. But Dr. Len took it a mile further and said that everything in our lives is our own creation. If we take complete responsibility for our lives, that means that everything we see, everything we hear, taste, touch, and everything we experience is our responsibility because it is in our life. Nothing exists except as a projection from inside ourselves. What that means for you, Susie, is that the problem isn't with your man. It's with you. And if you want your man to change, you need to change first. It's like looking at the face in the mirror and waiting for the face to smile back at you. You have to be the one to smile first. This is a powerful, life-changing technique. It takes time and devotion, but if you really want to help him, this is the way to do it. And he doesn't even have to know. The third option is just to be very candid with your man. Chances are that he has no idea whatsoever about how negative and complaining he is. Sometimes it's a habit people get into, and it takes someone else to point it out to wake them up. You could say something like, I love you, babe, and I really do want to spend time with you, but you have a lot of unresolved anger issues that I'm not qualified to help you with, nor do I want to. It's not my job to be your venting receptacle. I want to have fun with you and feel good about our time together, but I don't. And listening to you complain about everything and not take any steps to make changes, well, it just brings me down. I don't want to have a nap and take an aspirin every time you leave. So, until you clean up your attitude and energy, we need to take a break. In my solution resolution, step one was about getting clear, and step two was about looking at your options. There are probably many more options, but those are some of the basic choices. A, don't do anything. B, take full responsibility for everyone and everything in your life and help him behind the scenes and yourself. Or C, talk straight with him. All right, step number three. Now it's time to take action. Changes don't happen without some sort of action. And now it's time to make a decision and take that action, whatever it is. We all need to make decisions based on self-love. When we have compassion for ourselves and make choices based on honoring and nurturing our own needs, it sends a message to others to do the same. What's best for us ends up being best for the other people in our lives too. It might sound selfish, but it's actually selfless because everyone benefits. Susie, when you stop enabling your man, he will either start growing or move on to someone else who is willing to feed him their energy. He's also enabling you to remain a silent victim. I don't think you want to be that anymore. None of us want that for you or for ourselves. I hope that helps. It's not easy, but when you are ready, I know you'll do what you need to do. All right, we're going to take a short break and be right back to answer another question. If you have questions about love, life, relationships, 
happiness, health, and well-being, please email them to me at nancy at nancy at noon.com. And maybe yours will be the ones chosen to be answered on air. If you need answers now, I provide a personal and private email consultation service. For details, please visit the Ask Nancy page on my website, nancyatnoon.com. And now it's time to spice things up a little bit with a spice of the day. Today's spice of the day is coriander. I used to be one of those cooks who only used salt and pepper to season my meals and cinnamon for my baking, but not anymore. I love to spice up my food. One of the spices I've grown to love is coriander. I use it in pretty much all of my dinner dishes. Coriander and cilantro are not the same, but they come from the same plant. The leaves are called cilantro and the dried seeds are called coriander. Coriander has a cooling effect on the body and is, in fact, the most cooling of all the spices. So if you have a very hot, spicy dish, you could balance the heat by adding a cooling herb or spice such as coriander. So how does this help you? Well, if you have a fever, you will want to eat foods that reduce your body temperature. That's why they tell you to drink cold fluids and eat popsicles. The logic of this advice is correct, although the application of it is incorrect. Cold drinks raise your body temperature. It's best to drink warm or room temperature beverages and not ones that are sugar laden. Sugar shuts down your immune system for several hours. So a popsicle or ice cream may seem like a good idea, but in actuality it is doing you more harm at a time when your immune system needs a boost, not a setback. Coriander, on the other hand, has a cooling effect that does help reduce fever. Mix it with a little milk and honey and enjoy. Coriander is an excellent source of iron, photonutrients, and flavonoids. It also is good for digestion. It stimulates appetite. It helps you fight off allergens, helps purify the blood, and it's a natural aphrodisiac. It's been very successful in treating anxiety, depression, and panic attacks because of its calming nature. The essential oil in coriander is believed to stimulate creativity, optimism, and imagination. Coriander is also anti-inflammatory. It's actually all the antis. Anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, antiseptic, antifungal, antibacterial, and it has diuretic properties. It's used to balance and reset the body and mind. It's helpful for arthritis, urinary tract infection, nausea, mood swings, diabetes, bladder infection, conjunctivitis, and skin conditions such as dry skin and eczema. Coriander is beneficial in preventative oral care, Alzheimer's, and memory loss. These are just a few of the nutritive, preventative, and healing abilities of coriander. Since many of these spices have been around and used for, mm, I don't know, thousands of years, there's a lot of really good information out there that you can access for your own personal interest or your health concerns. I'm just giving you a small taste so that you will be eager to use spices as a daily part of your own diet and meal plan. Remember to be playful and have fun when embarking on your creative culinary journey. Life, just like cooking, is all about the spices you shake into the mix. So don't forget, my friends, to spice it up. We are back. 
You know, sometimes the questions I get are only touching the surface of what the questioner wants to ask. This next question falls into that category. He actually sent me several questions, all kind of rolled into one. Dear Nancy, how do I translate religion and God into common feelings? How can I understand religion and religious concepts and relate them to my everyday life? How can I make these concepts useful in my everyday life? How can believing in God make my life easier? Signed, God Seeking Anthony. It cracked me up when I read how he signed his email. I'm sure he meant it as God Seeking Anthony because that's what he is doing. He is trying to find God. But he says so clearly that God is seeking him. God to Anthony, come in please. Come in, please. God-seeking Anthony. Anyway, (laughs) just having a little bit of fun. The simplest way to answer this question is to say, stop looking. He's right there, and he's telling you that. But this is one of those cases where it's very difficult to see what's in front of us, not just for you, Anthony, but for all seekers. You are a very logical person. I can tell by your questions. You want to believe in God, and you need proof that he exists. I can't give that to you. There is no proof, yet everything around you is proof. Here's a fun little story. I rented a room to a very nice young man. He was a scientist in his own right. Everything had to be proven before he would believe it. But everything can't be proven. Science hasn't caught up to life yet and probably never will. God or universal energy or universal consciousness or however we want to label it is bigger than science. Anyway, this man, we'll call him Carrie, had a history of ghost and alien experiences. In fact, his whole family, three generations back, had a history of experiences in the realms most of us can't see and don't understand. But Carrie told me that until he gets personally abducted by an alien spaceship, he's not buying any of it. And maybe that won't even be proof enough for him then. He told me about so many experiences, but, you know, it's not enough proof for him. I would love to have some of those experiences. Well, yeah, yeah, I would. He will never find the proof he's looking for until he understands that some things aren't logical. We can't figure it all out with our brains. How many of your past lives do you remember? Mm Mm-hmm. If any, probably just bits and pieces of them. Concepts. Yet all of them are stored in our bodies. But how do we access them? They are stored in our DNA as emotional memory and concepts. When we get a sense that we've been here before, it's because our DNA is sending our brains a message. These messages come as concepts of experiences rather than full memory of the events of those experiences. I remember the first time I went to the south of France, I knew I'd been there before. It felt like home. I mean, it seriously felt like home. I even had a sense of being an artist from a different life and having my shop under the wall that surrounds the town of Antibes. You know, these memories come to us through our senses. And it's usually because we have unfinished business. Anthony, you will never know God through logic or proof. If you witness a miracle, you will always give it some logical explanation. That's just how scientific brains work. There's a beautiful story about a beautiful painting by Vermeer. It's called Girl with the Pearl Earring. No one knows who the girl in the painting is. Vermeer had 15 kids, but we don't know if she is his lover, his daughter, or or just a totally made-up person. 
The painting and the young girl are both absolutely stunningly beautiful. Her mouth is partially open as if she is about to say something, but we don't know what. The painting is unresolved, so we keep coming back to it over and over and over again. It draws us in because of the mystery and the wonder and the beauty and because we want to know. If we knew what she was saying or feeling or thinking, it would be complete for us and we'd forget about it. We'd move on, but we don't. Same deal with a wild and unkempt garden. There's a twisted path through the tall grass and wild flowers. It leads us into the shade beneath a dark tree. What's living there? Why isn't the grass cut? Who let the flowers grow so wild? We don't know, but it leaves us with a sense of mystery and curiosity, always coming back to look deeper. A garden like this is far more captivating than a perfectly manicured yard where the grass is two inches tall and the flowers are all in a row. There's nothing for us to complete. We get bored and move on. You know, it's okay that we don't know everything. Mysteries add magic to life. You won't find God by making flowcharts and drawing diagrams. Higher consciousness isn't achieved by thinking. It's understood by listening to the silence between breaths. It's realized by becoming one with the flower or the rock or the ocean. How do I translate religion and God into common feelings? Why would you want to? God or universal consciousness is so much more than that. Why apply limitations? How can I understand religion and religious concepts and relate them to my everyday life? What religion and what religious concepts do you want to relate to? Inherent in most of the world's religions throughout time is spirit. And that spirit is the same for all religions across the board. It's the interpretations that are different. Send me a particular religious concept you want to integrate into your life and I will help you. How can I make these concepts useful in my everyday life? Well, are you asking how can you be a better man? That's basically what these concepts are there for. They're just different paths to the same destination. How can believing in God make my life easier? <laughs> uh, well, for starters, you wouldn't be using so much time and energy trying to prove God's existence. You'd have more time to ski and try out new vegetarian recipes. You'd have lots more time to meditate and focus on creating your life rather than trying to dissect it into logical components. I suppose it also depends on what God you want to believe in. Is it the one you learned about in Sunday school who took on a, a human persona and punished wrongdoers? Or is it the divinity that lies within yourself that you're, you're trying to reach? God seeking Anthony. My advice to you is to relax your skepticism just for a little while. Not forever, just for a little while. And give your left brain a rest. Do some, I don't know, do some active form of meditation like painting or playing a musical instrument. Oh, maybe even chanting. And just see what comes up. Be sensitive to little bubbles or aha moments. Don't try to explain them away with logic. Just let them be. You don't even need to try to understand them. Just let them be. It seems like what you really want is for someone to make you believe in God. You know, to prove his existence to you. That's the journey, my friend. 
If there is a ball in front of you and someone tries to tell you it's blue, they use all kinds of scientific methods to prove the light refractions in the eyes and the way it bounces back and makes the ball look blue. But all you see is a ball, you will never believe it's blue. I'm going to leave you with a kind of weird story. Actually, it's totally weird. In a small town in Mexico, there's a statue of Jesus that's about 300 years old. Well, it was accidentally discovered to have real human teeth, with roots and all. No one knows where the teeth came from, or whose they are, or if they belong to more than one person. Back then, it was not uncommon for people to donate body parts to the church, like human hair. But no one knows if these teeth were voluntarily donated, or if they were extracted against someone's will. And they don't know if they came from a living or a dead person. The teeth were in great condition, but the strange thing is, as if that wasn't strange enough, the mouth of the Jesus sculpture is almost completely closed and the teeth are not visible. You'd have to deliberately look inside his mouth to see them. So, Anthony, look carefully at the concepts you want to integrate into your life. Many of these concepts come and go throughout time. Only true spiritual principles remain unchanging and stand the test of eternity. Your challenge is to know the difference. Religion, spirituality, and God can be very confusing to understand and decipher the truth from the dogma. If you are on the path to deepen your spirituality and connect with the divinity within, I'm here to help. With that, I shall bid you adieu. Until next time, my friends and faithful followers. Thanks for joining us again on Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. We've enjoyed your company and hope it's been fun for you too. If you like what you're hearing, please share us with your friends and family because, well, they might like us too. You can find us online at nancyatnoon.com. We've got fascinating blog posts, recipes, self-help books, weight loss CDs, coaching programs, art, jewelry, and all kinds of other cool stuff. Go ahead and check us out. nancyatnoon.com. You'll be glad you did.